Okay. How are you guys doing? Yeah. All right. It's almost Christmas, right? Yeah, this week. Um, so, just want to give uh, an update on Daniel for you guys. He's here. Uh, Daniel had his... <laughs> Daniel is the other pastor here at Trinity Life, uh, for those of you guys who are new today. <clears throat> he had his appendix removed this week, just a few days ago. So, in a lot of pain, he's walking around like an old man, but um, he's good. He's good. So... Uh, yeah, praise God that he's here. Um, he's pretty much worthless this morning, but he's here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Those are his words. He texted that to me. I was just repeating what he, he said. So, um, but yeah, excited to be here. Um, uh, my voice has been really hoarse all this week, so I might cough a lot during, uh, I've got this like really itchy thing in my throat all week, so, um, you gotta excuse that ahead of time. Um, we have been in, oh, for those of you who are new, I'm Mike, one of the other pastors here. Um, we have a connect card on your seat, Michelle mentioned earlier, uh, blue and white card. Uh, you can drop that in the offering bag as it goes by later, but just fill that out, put your name, whatever, whatever info you're comfortable with, and, um, we'll contact you. So, um, we've been going through, uh, Luke chapter 15 for the past three weeks, Seems like a lot in one passage of scripture. I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know, 15, not even 15 verses, I don't think. Um, so a lot for one passage of scripture. But we've dealt with a whole bunch of different things. Um, well, what we haven't talked about a lot is just why we're in this season. It's Christmas and Advent. And that's what these candles represent. They represent uh, a, a period of expectation, of waiting, of expecting and and anticipating the coming of something. And that coming is, is Jesus. That's who we're celebrating uh, right now. So I want, you to, I want you guys to use your imaginations a little bit this morning. This is actually a... Hermeneutics is the, um, the technical term for the, the science of biblical interpretation. And so this is actually a, a thing in hermeneutics. Like people write on this. There's books on this. Um, how do you use your imagination when you read the scriptures? Because... I don't know about you, unless you're looking at my, my daughter's kid's Bible, there's no pictures. <laughs> so um, we, God gave us this, this facility to, to use our imagination. So that's what I wanna, want you guys to picture a little bit this morning. The, so picture this. Um, in the scriptures, we have right at the beginning, um, we have Adam and Eve created. Uh, we have uh, sin enter into the world because of their disobedience. And then... Uh, God is trying to, he makes a promise right in Genesis 3, and he's trying to redeem, uh, redeem mankind, redeem history, redeem creation uh, throughout. So you, we have creation, fall, and then we're waiting for redemption, okay? So as you're reading in the scriptures, if you're living in the scriptures, and we want to try to insert ourselves into the scriptures as we read them, because it's a living book, it's alive, these words are alive, and we get to... in. Like, this is inviting us into the story, because whether you believe the Bible or not, I don't know where you are in here this morning, the Bible says that this is the true, uh, this is the true world. This is the true reality. And so, when you read the Bible, it just invites you into the story. So, we're, we're invited in. So, picture this. We're, we're in this redemption period. It's happening, but we're waiting for it. We're, we're in between fall and redemption. So, sin and redemption. We're like, 
Okay, we're waiting for it. We know the Messiah is coming. We know the Savior is coming. We have all these prophets come on, on the scene. They all come. And then, um, and then there's 400 years of silence. So prophets end. God stops speaking. There's 400 years. And then Matthew happens, the book of Matthew. And Gabriel comes on the scene, the angel Gabriel. And he speaks to, <clears throat> he speaks to a young woman, a teenager, basically. And God's silence is at first broken by uh, the angel Gabriel coming to speak to Mary. Um, and then you see the angel Gabriel speaking to uh, John the Baptist's parents. And the angel Gabriel speaks to uh, um, uh, Joseph, the father of Jesus. And, and um, when, when the angels show up on the scene, you see them, uh, one of the first things they say is, don't fear. They say, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Well, I mean, why do you think that is? Like, you're reading that, and you're like, okay, that, that makes sense. If an angel showed up in my bedroom, I'd be freaked out. But God hasn't spoken for 400 years. Uh, Missy and I saw The Hobbit last night. Um, we didn't plan on it. It just happened. Uh, we actually went to see a different movie, and yeah, anyways. Um, and so, uh, I won't ruin it for you guys that are going to go to The Hobbit viewing on Tuesday but it's the worst movie I've ever seen. I'm just kidding. That no, was good. It was good. Um, so uh, in this, and I'm not going to say a scene, um, why well, I'm going to say a scene. Um, but this is actually in Lord of the Rings too. Like the, the, the lady in, in white, the white elf lady, like, okay, her name. Um, you guys didn't have to say her name. Does someone want to speak elfish this morning? <laughs> um, actually, I know someone who learned elfish. Uh, that's another story. Um, this was not me. So, in Lord of the Rings, like, there's a scene where she, like, her goodness and her, uh, there's a scene where she gets really dark, right? And it's like this really ominous scene. She, like, her voice changes, she gets really dark, and it's like, ah, and it's kind of freaky. Um, but it's because her goodness is so great. The goodness of who she is is so great that it, it, it makes her pale in comparison to the goodness she's putting out. And you see that in The Hobbit, like, at one scene. Same thing in, in Lord of the Rings, like, this goodness comes out and you're like oh my gosh it's so scary I, I looked around there's kids in the theater and one kid where he was like this he's like no no <laughs> um, and I'm like yeah that's I, I'm scared um but that's like the angels they've come on the scene and they it's God's glory being shown and it's such goodness that the first thing he has to say to Mary is don't be afraid like this isn't bad this is actually really really good this is what you've been waiting for just what we've sung about. Um, and Mary, and so in, in Luke chapter 2, you see this happen. Prophets are foretold. Prophets have been foretold. John the, Baptist is, uh, John the Baptist's birth. Jesus' birth. Jesus is the great prophet. He's, he's the prophet to come. And um, then you see like a multitude of angels uh, before the shepherds. And Mary sings this song in Luke chapter 2. And if you read through the scriptures, you see songs as pivotal moments. And these are very prophetic songs. So Moses sings a song. Deborah, one of the judges, sings a song. David writes tons of psalms. We have the book of Song of Solomon. Now Mary comes on the scene, and she has a psalm that's uh, a song that she sings that's written, and it's very prophetic about Christ's life and uh, what what Jesus has uh, or what God has done through her and her being the mother of, of the Savior, and and like all these things are God speaking now. God speaking. And that's what we've been waiting for. 
And over 400 years we've had silence, and God breaks that silence with the angels and then with the cries of a baby in a manger. Like, how magnificent is that? And how glorious is that? Like, how, how much more innocent can you get, right, than the cries of a baby? I don't know, maybe Jesus didn't cry because <laughs> he's God. <laughs> um, but, but uh, like, you, we see the silence just broken, and then it's just ushering in redemption, ushering in this new era of celebration. And so Jesus, he grows up. Uh, we see that in like two chapters in Luke. We don't know anything about his childhood except one instant where he's in the temple. And it's like this, this point where he's 12, and it's, it signifies him becoming an adult. Um, and then, and then we see him again at, at 30, which is like when he becomes an elder and when he goes into ministry. And in Luke chapter 4, we have Jesus. And um, let me read this to you, actually. I think Curtis has it up on the screen. He, he goes in the temple. This is right at the beginning of his ministry. He goes in the temple and he opens up the Isaiah scroll. This was the biggest scroll. So he opens it up and he reads these words. He says, The Spirit of the Lord which the Spirit of the Lord hasn't been spoken about for a while. So now that these words are coming into Scripture, you got to think about this. Like, no one saw angels for 600 years. They didn't hear God's voice for 400 years. Last time we saw Gabriel was in 600 uh, B.C. in the book of Daniel. Like, Zechariah was the last time we heard an angel spoke, 400 years before. Now Jesus is coming. He's All he's talking about is his Spirit. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Can you imagine someone coming into, your, into the temple saying that. And he's just like, hey guys, I got the spirit. Like, it's on me. And they're like, no, this is blasphemy. He says, because he has anointed me. Anointing was only left for, for was only reserved for those who the spirit was going to be upon um, all through the scriptures. Um, because the spirit isn't dispensed yet, right? So this is pre, like, spirit. Uh, the spirit dwells in us now. But this is pre that. He says, the spirit Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news. That's the word gospel. To proclaim the gospel to the poor. Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he's like ushering in this new age of redemption. And if you read on that passage, do you guys know what they do? They try to push him off a cliff. <laughs> they think he's, he's like spewing blasphemy. And they like get this mob together and they try to push him off a cliff and we see Jesus just pass through them like nothing. Um, and he just, they don't see him, he just walks, walks off miraculously. Um, and then we come to Luke 15. And that same crowd that tried to push him off the cliff is the same crowd that he's talking to here. And he's telling this parable to, he's telling this story about two sons to. And he says, he, he says to him, he says, there was this man and he had two sons. One son, the younger son, wanted his share of the inheritance. So he goes to his dad. He says, I want my inheritance. Basically, this is him slapping his dad in the face. Because basically, uh, you wouldn't get inheritance until the father was dead. So <clears throat> he's saying, slap in the face. You're dead to me. Give me my money. So he, the father doesn't say anything except he gives him his inheritance. The younger brother goes. He liquidates his ass. So he, he like cashes out. He like takes it to the pawn shop and he pawns everything. 
and he gets cash for it. That's basically what the word says uh, in, in the Greek here. Like he just cashes out, he goes and he squanders it recklessly. Reckless expectations that we talked about three weeks ago. He just squanders it recklessly. So he doesn't understand who he is. He doesn't understand his identity. He doesn't understand who the Father is either. Um, he gets to the lowest point in his life. Lowest point. He is in a pigsty feeding pigs, which is the lowest of low for a Jew. And then on top of that, he's a servant to a Gentile master. That's even lower for a Jewish person. And he was so hungry, he wants to eat what the pigs are eating. That's even lower than that. Um, but he comes, says he comes to his senses. So he comes to his senses and he realizes, I should just go home. And his idea of repentance is this. I'm going to go home. I'm going to tell my father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. Forgive me. And I will, I will be as one of your hired servants. So he goes. He, as he's going home, his father is scanning the horizon. And he sees his son coming from a long way off. And he just feels compassion, the scriptures say. Not here, not here. But this word is here in his gut. Like he feels it like right here. And he just takes off and he runs to his son, embraces him, kisses him. Who knows? They fall over on the ground laughing in joy. His son says, starts to give his rehearsed speech. And the father says, shh, you have me at hello. <laughs> says, he says, shh. <laughs> I didn't plan on saying that. Um, he says, shh, quickly, bring the best robe, bring the ring, bring, the, bring, the sh- bring shoes for his feet, kill the fattened calf. We're going to party. We're going to celebrate because my son, he was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. And they celebrate problem is the older brother is in the field slaving away and he hears music and dancing in the house so he approaches the house and he gets one of the servants he's like what's going on and the servant says your brother he's come home and your your father he's killed the fat and calf and we're having a party and we're celebrating because we're, we're just so happy he's back and the elder brother is angry he's bitter and he refuses to go in And the father comes out and says, and just pleads with him, please come in, come in and join the celebration. And he says, I worked for you all of my life. I did all these good things. And you didn't even give me a young goat. You didn't give me anything to celebrate with my friends. And here, my brother, this, he actually says, this son of yours, he distances himself. He's like, this son of yours, that guy over there, He squandered your life. Because that's basically what the father did. He gave him his life when he gave him his property. That's the word there. He gave him his his bios, it says, his life, his very life. He squandered your life, and now you're welcoming him back. Why would you do that? And he says, son. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't chastise him. He says, son. He says, you're my son. You've been with me all these years. Everything I have is yours. All of it has always been yours. That has never changed. This, your brother, he was dead, now he's alive. He was lost, now he's found. And that's how it ends. That's it. 
Like, we don't know what happens. The elder brother's just left standing there with his jaw open. We don't know if he turns away or not. This story is the story of two lost sons, not just the prodigal son. It's two lost sons here. But it's also the story of the father's love. It's also the story of um, the younger brother's repentance and the elder brother's sacrifice and failure, actually. But it's also a story of the king. We've been waiting for the king. Jesus is telling a story of an elder brother that should be and that could be and that he is. And he's saying that I am that guy. So we see the father's love here. Like when the younger brother comes back, the father runs out to him. So the younger brother did something. He had, he repented, right? And we'll talk about that in a second, but he repented. He rises up and he goes back and the father sees him and he runs to him. That's the father's love. If you don't know anything about God this morning, if you're struggling with who God is, if you don't know, if you can't feel the father's love, his love is one that pursues, that runs, that kisses, that embraces you. He did this both with the younger brother and with the elder brother. They're inside celebrating having the party with the younger brother and then... He sees that, wow, where's, where's my other son? And he goes out to the field to approach him. He doesn't wait for the older brother to come in. That's what love does. Love, love compels us to pursue others. Love compels us um, to, to reconcile. Love doesn't, love doesn't compel us to wait for the other person to reconcile. Selfishness does that. Pride does that. Love compels us to reconcile. The father didn't do anything wrong. Um, he could have waited for the older brother to get over his, his um, pouty attitude and come to the party. But no, he went out to him, just as he ran to the brother. So what, is, what does the father's love look like? What does it feel like? Um, I don't know what season of life you're in, um, but there are certain seasons where the father's love is really imminent and tangible, and then certain seasons where it probably isn't as imminent and tangible. So... Um, I mean, for the younger brother, it, <laughs> man, I didn't think the sermon was that bad. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, or he's just like, hallelujah. Yeah. Um, so for the younger brother, it looks like joy. Like it's an overwhelming joy. The father runs out, he embraces him, he kisses him. Like the father's love is just so overwhelming for him. For the older brother, it's more like, um, patience and humility like he's going out and approaching his love is is manifested in those characteristics just patience and humility and bringing the elder brother close um what does it look like for instance when you're depressed what does the father's love look like i think i think when we are depressed and we're we're um in a, just a, a low spot. We want it to just overwhelm us. We want the Father's love. We want to feel it. We want the Father's love to just lift us up. Um, but I feel like when we are, we can't handle that. If you look at Elijah in the scriptures, um, Elijah was this, one of the great prophets of, of the Old Testament. And he just came off of this like mountain, literally mountaintop experience where he like defied um, all these false gods and stuff. And then he goes, and he, he comes from the mountaintop, and he goes in this really low spot, and he's just so depressed. 
like literally what God's love looked like for him in that moment was it, it fed him. Like he, was, he didn't want to eat. He's like, I'm not going to eat. I'm just going to die here. And he says in the scriptures, he says, God, just take my life. Like he's having like suicidal thoughts here. He's like, God, just, just end it. And um, God sends ravens to feed him, give him meat and stuff. I would have grabbed a raven and ate it. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know if the, like, the raven was like regurgitating in his mouth. <laughs> uh, imagination, guys. We're using our imagination. So, um, but ravens come and <laughs> it's like a mother bird, right? Yes. So, <laughs> um, so he, uh, like the, the ravens come and feed him. Um, and then, and then like all these things happen, like these big things happen. An earthquake happens and um, the wind happens and rocks are tearing apart. A big fire comes. And, and Elijah's looking for the Father's love in those things. He's looking for God's voice. But the scriptures say he doesn't hear them through those things. He hears them through uh, what's normally translated as a low whisper. But if we literally translated it, it would be a thin silence. He hears them through a thin silence. And he hears God's voice. And he hears God's love. And God reminds him that he's not alone. That he's depressed, but he's not alone because he has community around him. He's not the only guy. That was Elijah's thing. He's like, I'm the only one. I'm the only one who's going through this. But his love was so tangible when he said, no, there's all these other people behind you who are not bowing their knees to these gods, but who honor me as God. Join them. And so uh, the Father's love, a lot of times, uh, it, it can look like joy. It can look like... Uh, this overwhelming sense, um, but it can look like just God reminding you of what you have in the community. It's a thin silence. Um, what does God's love look like? Um, like when we're waiting, when we when we know God's promised us something, and we're waiting for that promise. Um, I mean, just think about Abraham. Abraham waited for a promise for years and years. Um, he was promised a son. His wife was barren. He was promised a son. And Abraham didn't have his son until he was 100 years old. 100. He had to wait like, I don't know, 20, 40 years. I can't remember when he got the promise. But he had to wait years and years and years to see this promise come to fruition. And God's love to him was shown when he said, Honor me, sacrifice that promise, and I will honor you. So... The love in, in waiting for Abraham was he had to sacrifice something. He had to be obedient, but he had to sacrifice the promise. If you know anything about Missy, mine and Missy's story, Genesis 22, the, where this passage comes from, is a huge part of our story because um, we were, I, I was waiting, and I felt like God had promised me something. And God honored, um, when I sacrificed, God honored that. So if you're in that season right now, you need to look for a sacrifice, not immediate gratification, which is what we t- tend to want. Just like, uh, yeah, we just tend, tend to want that. That's, 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 what we, that's what we lean in towards. What about, um, what does God's love look like when you're frustrated or when people sin against you? Like, that's what we deal with a lot too, right? Um, again, the Father's love can be overwhelming, can be patient, and be, can, it can be in a thin silence. It can be, um, it can be through sacrifice. But what about when people are just sinning against you over and over again? Uh, this happens to the disciples. And Jesus says, it looks like forgiveness. My love looks like forgiveness. It looks like grace. 
It looks like the cross. It looks like Jesus on the cross. When that scripture, uh, John 3.16, that most people know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Um, I'm quoting in King James. That's for you, Dane. Um, <laughs> that's how I learned it. Um, for God so loved the world. That, where it says for God so loved the world, it doesn't mean that God loved the world so much that he did this. It means God loved the world in this way. God loved the world thus. We can take out so for thus. God loved the world thus. He gave his son. And this is how God loved the world. Because God's love, God's love is perfect. We don't have to say, oh, God loves us so much. No. It's a perfect love. There's no degree. It's just perfection. We have degrees because our love isn't perfect. Like, uh, and our, our love is different for people. Like, I love Daniel differently than I love Missy. Um, and, and it's, it's like, and there's, there's different levels of love. Like, I love my daughters differently. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love them the exact same. Um, but I was worried about that. So, but God's love is perfect. It's one level. Um, so God loved the world in this way. He gave Jesus to us. He gave a sacrifice to us. And so, and he gave forgiveness and grace. And the disciples, they say, I can't do that. I can't forgive someone over and over again when they sin against me. And he says, and they say to him, increase our faith, God. And so what it looks like is increasing your faith. It looks like God increasing our faith through, through faith, uh, I mean, through forgiveness and, and grace. If you don't feel the Father's love now, if you don't feel it like the younger brother or even the older brother right now, if you've never experienced the Father's love, it's because you're looking for it in the wrong place. Because it's there, waiting, tangible for you. And you're just either expecting the wrong things or you're looking in the wrong place for it. And it's not that God's love doesn't overwhelm us, because it does. Like when, when Elijah heard God's voice through the thin silence, I'm sure that silence was deafening to his heart. I'm sure God's voice was still deafening to his heart when he heard it. God's love is, like I said, it's, it's perfect, and it's always there. It's pursuing us. It's waiting for us. Um, and the Father's love was actually, uh, in this parable, was made clear in the younger son's, <coughs> in the younger son's repentance. So we see the younger brother, he repents. It says he came to himself in the scriptures. He came to himself and realized, like, what am I doing? Have you ever had that moment where you're like, why am I living like this? Why am I stuck in this sin? Why do I act like this? Why do I have this attitude? Why is this sin, whatever it is, habitual? Why does it keep on, why is it just creeping on my doorstep all the time and it keeps on tripping me up? The younger brother had that. He's like, what am I doing here? I'm a son. Like, why am I living like this when I can go back home? So he goes back home. And that's repentance. Problem is, he had this really weird idea of repentance. Not weird. He has our idea of repentance. Um, let me show you this video. Check out this video real quick. Watch it to the very end.
Those are my daughters. I love Reagan's bow. She's like, she, <laughs> so this is our idea of repentance. The younger brother, he he comes back and he thinks he needs to emulate the older brother. He thinks he needs to do good things. He thinks he needs to 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 lip sync. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're they're lip syncing to to a song. Um, but you see, like, when they're not in line with the song, right? I mean, you kind of cringe, like, oh. Um, or when these guys up here play the wrong note. Sorry, I didn't mean to do this, Val. It's not just you. <laughs> play the wrong, <laughs> play the wrong note. <laughs> uh, actually, I don't notice it because I'm not musical. But, um, like, they notice it. And they're like, oh. Um, so, like, you, you notice that when we're out of tune, that's more me. When you're out of tune, um, or I, like, I can't clap and sing at the same time. So I'll be offbeat like really quickly. Uh, like by the third clap, I'm like way off. I'm like doing this. Um, but you're just, you're just out of sync there. And the younger brother, with his idea of repentance, you're always going to be out of sync. Because his idea was, okay, I realize where I'm at. Now I'm going to go try to make it up to my dad. Now I'm going to go try to work for it. And so he goes to his father and he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. He still thinks he is his son. He says, don't call me. I'm not worthy to be called that. He says, I'll be like one of your hired servants, and I'll work my way back into your favor. And the father says, no, you don't have to do that. You're a son. You're not a servant. And that's a totally different mentality and a totally different uh, idea of repentance. Um, But that's us. That's you. That's me. We go back. We go back to the Father when we've sinned, when we feel like we've fallen short, when we feel like we have this kind of ascetic mentality where we got to beat ourselves, you know, like as an ascetic monk. We have to like beat ourselves and do penance and those things. And that is not, that is not the Father. He says he's standing there with open arms. And repentance is just a change, not just a, I mean, it's simply a change of heart. Like it's, it's changing our hearts and, and uh, it's a heart transformation. Um, now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean there's no consequences. That doesn't, like, take out consequences. Jesus paid our consequence. Um, and then when we sin in this world, there's going to be consequences. But those are just, like, those are because of our sin. God's not up there punishing you. Those are because if you steal something from the bank, you're going to go to jail. Like, that happens when you steal stuff from the bank. Um, like, if, if, so if you sin, there's just... There's just natural consequences for it. But the Father's love doesn't hold condemnation over us. It's not judgmental. It's not condemnatory. It's embracing and welcoming and says that you are a son, you're a daughter, you're not a slave. And so my voice, like, sounds, it's very hoarse. hoarse. Um, so, but it sounds like I'm putting, like, a lot of emotion into it, which is really cool. So, um... <laughs> uh, so the younger brother, he didn't see that. He didn't see that. He thought he had to work for it. Genuine repentance is not that. Genuine repentance is coming back to the Father. Um, and, and it's not someone telling you you did something wrong. It's not someone pointing the finger. And it's not just saying, I'm sorry, and showing remorse. So those things aren't repentance. Those things are signs of it. But just showing remorse isn't, isn't repentance. Um, 
This is one of the most difficult things to teach my daughters. Um, they're three and four. Uh, actually, it's one of the most difficult things to teach adults. Like, I'm still teaching, I'm teaching you guys that today. This is something I teach myself constantly. It's, the repentance is one of the most difficult concepts as, as human beings for us to get. Because we feel like we don't deserve things and we have to work in order to deserve things. That's, that's a lot of other religious systems. That's not the Christian faith. It's the only one that says you don't have to work uh, to gain the Father's acceptance. You are approved in Christ Jesus because he did it all for us on the cross. And so, like my, my daughters, for instance, when we, when we teach them what repentance is, and we haven't used that word with them, but when someone pulls someone's hair or, uh, you know, um, we, we say, you know, you got to say you're sorry. But I tell them, like, just saying you're sorry, like, if it's an empty word, we got to put meaning behind that word. So you need to say, I'm sorry, I'll try not to do that again. Like, that's repentance. That's saying, I'm sorry, accepting forgiveness. And then we say, and then we say um, like, do you guys forgive each other? That's repentance. It's, it's showing remorse, yes. Um, but then it's saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I'll try not to do this again. And then it's saying, will you forgive me? Um, and so we try to teach our girls that. They're okay at it. Um, <laughs> it's actually taught me more about repentance than it probably has taught them about repentance. Um, but it puts something with that. So this is, I mean, this is the father. This is, you know, it, imagine this. Like, this is us with our daughters. Imagine someone, and we are, we're with our daughters, and I have to teach them this. I have to show them how to do this constantly. Like, if, if Emerson pulled Reagan's hair, like, no one's teaching her how to repent, how to say, I'm sorry, or, or anything like that. Um, the Father's doing that for us. He's trying to show us how to do it lovingly. Repentance, if it's forced, is not repentance. That's not what the Father's doing. Repentance, if it is, um, if, if someone is telling you you're wrong, and if, if you feel condemned, that's not repentance. It's done out of love. And so the Father is beckoning us to him through his love. And that's his sacrifice. But what's key here is uh, the elder brother's sacrifice. Um, the elder brother here in, in this parable is one who fails. The story ends with him being angry. The story ends with him not going in to celebrate. The story ends with him just standing there. We don't know. Um, and the father pleading with him, like telling him to come in, like, I want you to be a part of this. And it leaves it open-ended because Jesus is pointing it to himself. And he's saying that a true elder brother, a perfect elder brother, would have done something different. Now the father here, he gives the best robe, he gives the ring, he gives the shoes to the younger brother. Does that mean he doesn't have anything else to give? Well, no, it, it doesn't. Does that mean that the elder brother gets second best? No, it doesn't mean that either. Remember, everything that the father has was always the elder brothers. Everything. It was always the elder brothers. It was always there for him. So actually what this means is when the father gives the elder brother the ring, the robe, the shoes, the calf, the celebration, 
He's giving it out of the elder brother's inheritance. He's giving what the elder brother should have given. So he's taking what was the elder brother's and he's giving it to the younger brother. <clears throat> now you understand why the elder brother's angry. <laughs> now you understand why he refused not to go in and celebrate. Because we're celebrating his reckless lifestyle in his mind with my things, with what was reserved for me. And Jesus says, that's not what a true elder brother is like. That was the elder brother's failure. And he says, that's your failure. That is our failure. And so he's teaching this to us. That is our failure. Would you have gone in? Would you have celebrated if, if, the, if uh, your father took, took everything that was yours, that was supposed to be reserved for you to celebrate with your friends, and gave it to your younger brother after he just like, uh, insulted your family and spent a third of the inheritance on whatever and, and then came back like groveling at the father's feet and the father lifts him up like he's a king. Like how would you react to that? And so Jesus is saying, that's you. But the good news is you have me. You have a perfect elder brother. This isn't the, this isn't the only story of two brothers in the scriptures. Um, this is a parable that Jesus tells, but there's, there's historical accounts of two other brothers in the scriptures. Um, one is Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, uh, this anger was in Cain's heart. The same anger that was in the elder brother's heart, the same anger that is in your heart, the same bitterness that reigns in us, reigned in, in, in Cain's heart to the point where he murdered his brother over the father's acceptance. He just killed his brother. He didn't think twice about it. And then he says this when God, when the father approaches them, when God approaches them and says, where's your brother? He's like, I don't know. He says, am I my brother's keeper? And no one answers that question in the scriptures, but the answer is yes. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Not because you're the older brother, but because you are brothers. Like, you were there, you're supposed to be there for him, and he's there for you. And you ruin that. And then he lives out the consequences of his actions. And this is like the elder brother. When, when, he, sees, when he sees the younger brother come back, um, remember this, this, this uh, term for property and inheritance is the term for life in the, in the Greek. Like, so his very life was stripped from him. Um, from the father. Um, when the elder brother sees this celebration, he's almost thinking, why does he get to live that life? Um, but the elder brother's thinking, and there's two words for Greek in, in the Greek for life. One is zoe, which I've talked about before, and one is bios. Um, zoe is like uh, the quality of life. And so the elder brother has this mentality of quality of life. Like he's looking and he's like, he has this great quality of life and I'm here slaving away. And the father's like, no. This isn't about the quality of life. This is about bios. This is about death and life. This isn't about who gets to have the fatted calf and, and who doesn't. And so Cain had this problem. But we see two other brothers um, in the Old Testament, uh, Jacob and Esau. And, and these brothers, Jacob and Esau uh, 
are, are born to, to Isaac, actually, who we talked about earlier. Um, so they're born to, to Isaac, uh, Abraham's son. So Abraham has Isaac, and then Isaac has Jacob and Esau, twins. He has twin boys. And f- from the beginning, they're warring against each other. They're warring in the womb. Like, when Esau comes out, Jacob is, like, grasping at his heel. Um, crazy. It's like me and my sister in the womb. Like, we're, like, fighting for position. Um, I have a twin sister, uh, and I'm one minute older, like one whole minute, but I'm older. That's like, <laughs> and that's Jacob and Esau. It didn't matter, it didn't matter, like, that they were twins. One came out first, and that was Esau, so he was the oldest, um, and that was highly significant in the culture. He was the oldest, so even though Jacob was, like, right on his heel, like, grabbing it, um, so they grow up. And from, from the scriptures, it's like Esau is this, Esau's this like man's man. He's like in the wilderness, he's hairy, he's, he's got like chest hair, and he's like, um, probably a big beard, and he's like the hunter, the gatherer. He's like me. And then, <laughs> very manly, and, um, and then, that shouldn't be funny. And then, and then Jacob is like very like introverted and you know he's he's probably the guy like reading books and stuff um and he's he's just very like uh, he hangs out with mom a lot and Esau hangs out with dad a lot um not saying anything about that but that's like how the scriptures portray them um and so but because his mom loves Jacob so much she wants him to get the inheritance not to go to Esau, but it should have gone to Esau. So Jacob tricks his brother. He tricks his father. He deceives his brother, um, and he takes the inheritance, and he flees. He does what the younger brother does in the story. He takes the inheritance, and he flees to a foreign country, and he hightails it out of there. And like this is, this is actually this story. He goes, and... Years and years go by. Jacob lives his life in fear of repercussion, of vengeance from Esau. Esau lives his life, uh, potentially, years of anger and bitterness and hatred because his brother took his life from him. He took everything from him that belonged to him, that he deserved. And you see this one uh, later on in Genesis. Jacob... Um, a messenger comes to Jacob and says, your brother is coming. Esau is coming. And he freaks out. He's like, oh my gosh, like, he's going to kill me. He's coming with like 400 men. He's going to kill me. What is he going to do? I'm like freaking out here. Um, and so he, he gets like some like 400 female goats, 100 male goats, like all these goats, like all these gold and all these gifts. And he sends them ahead of time to Esau um, to say, hey, take this gift, like, Here's part of your inheritance back. Um, and, and he meets Esau. And the scriptures say, say this. They say, when Esau saw him, he ran to him, he embraced him, and he kissed him. The exact thing that the Father does in this passage that Jesus says, I'm doing for you. We see Jacob and Esau, picture of the prodigal son, um, of these two lost sons, these two brothers, 
and experiencing the father's love. And Esau runs and he just embraces him and he kisses him. And he's like, what is all this? Why do you send this? And Jacob says, well, it's, it's for you. I thought you were going to kill me. <laughs> and he's like, I don't need any of this. I don't need this. This is, like, you, you keep this. What ends up happening is Jacob convinces him to take it. But he says, he says you, live, you live out of this. Um, God has blessed me. Um, and all we see there is reconciliation. This is the Father's love. The Father's love is the elder brother's sacrifice. It's Jesus on the cross. It's the incarnation, what we're celebrating. It's Jesus becoming flesh. It's the Father giving his own life. It's Jesus giving his own life. It's him giving out of himself at no expense to us. Just like Esau did, just like the, the perfect elder, elder brother should do. And vice versa, on the other side, the elder brother's sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice, demonstrates the Father's love. Jesus, Jesus steps out of heaven and he showcases the Father's love and becomes this perfect elder brother for us that we don't have to take out of our inheritance. We just take out of his inheritance. The scriptures talk about the spirit as our inheritance. And when Jesus dies, is resurrected, is ascended, he leaves that inheritance with us. He leaves the spirit with us. He says, this is your inheritance. And that's why we celebrate this time of year. That's why we celebrate it all, right? As, a, as Christians, that's why we celebrate it all, that we didn't have to do anything. That the Father can just showcase his love for us like that. And remember what the angels say when they show up on the scene after silence. So I don't know where you are in your journey of faith. Maybe you've never heard God's voice before. But he's saying to you this morning, do not fear. Do not be afraid. The Father is here to run to you, to embrace you, to love you, to take you in, and to call you a son or a daughter of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is life, that it brings life, that we can uh, both have bios life and zoe life. You've come to give us not just um, physical life, but an abundant spiritual life. So whether we're dealing with uh, the busyness of, the time, of this time, <clears throat> with frustrations with people, with depression, anxiety, with just a promise we're waiting to be fulfilled with anger and bitterness. God, I pray that you just increase our faith, that you'd remove those things from us. Those are lies of the enemy. Those are seeds of the enemy that, that have been placed inside us that we ask that you just root out this morning. Let us know and experience your love today through the person of Christ Jesus.
For your word says, that is eternal life. When we know you and your son Jesus who you sent to us. What a demonstration of love. What a demonstration of sacrifice. So Father, we just approach your throne of grace right now. Ask that you would pick us up in your arms. And that we would just be able to experience your joy. That we were dead and now we're alive. That we were lost and now we're found. I pray for those in here who don't know that truth yet. Who don't know that they can be lost. They can, they are lost and they can be found. That they are dead and can be alive. Reveal that truth to them this morning. We ask in your name, Jesus. <laughs> Amen.